Welcome to the NDS Safer and Stronger podcast. In this episode, we are joined by Cindy Thomason, the CEO of Ability Assist, as she shares how her team handled a positive COVID case, as well as insights to pass on to providers about the experience. Well, hi, Cindy. Thank you for joining us today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Well, to start, do you want to talk a little bit about your current role at Ability Assist? Yeah, so Ability Assist, I took a bit of a leap of faith about 12 months ago and I was asked by Janet, she's the founder of this organisation, so she established it 25 years ago from her from her backyard essentially. She used to work at Kew Cottages and felt that there was um, something, she wanted to do something different and there was something better that she could do for people with a disability um, and so she really started uh, just providing a service, an out-of-home really care service for people um, that uh, that really went. That was the whole time that everything was deinstitutionalized, and everything went to day programs and um, community-based support. So she established the organisation a very long time ago, and then um, so over that period of time, we've probably got about fifty clients in disability, and we've also branched out into out-of-home care for um, young people. So those people that um, have either behaviours of concern or complex behaviours uh, that um, can no longer live at home for whatever reason they might. So we have 14 residential properties across the north and west predominantly of Melbourne. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, Um, so a bit of a leap of faith, very, very different role um, and a really big challenge, but certainly, um, yeah, an an interesting one, interesting change. What were a couple of things that you might have learned from your previous work experience that you brought to the new role? So a couple of things and thinking about what, I would like sort of, or what I like to impress upon others is I think it's really good to, so this is a really small organisation. So I've gone from working in really large organisations where you have a supply department, you've got an infection control department, you know, you've got the quality unit, um, lots of experts and coming into a small organisation, you really need to do all of those roles yourself. You don't have special expertise to be able to do that so one of the key learnings and one I'm really pleased that I've been able to do is keep some of those connections that I had at Monash and at Royal Melbourne even so I've been able to sort of link in with those people in this role and I'm really pleased I did earlier this year I linked in with someone that I used to work with at Monash Health um, and they are now the chief executive for Able Australia and that's Kate McRae and so fortunate that I linked in with her earlier this year because without that connection I may not have been able to get um, access to the PPE that I was able to get access to back in February um, when many small organisations like us in disability would have had no way of getting into uh, the market or even having that sort of leverage or even knowing where to go to get the equipment that we needed. So having those networks has been really, really beneficial. Um, So that's probably one thing to bring with me into the organisation. But obviously, when we're talking about COVID, it really did help that I have that background in infection control. Um, And that has sort of, I think, put us in a pretty good position as an organisation to be able to be pretty prepared um, given, as I said, we're a pretty small organisation in comparative to others, but have come up with a, you know, a pretty solid plan going forward. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, that would be fantastic bringing up COVID, um, which takes us to our next point. You brought up in one of the NDS webinars that uh, one of your staff actually tested positive for COVID. How did yourself did. and um, the team react to that? Uh, well, so for... 
like most organisations, so this was, you know, back in February, we were already monitoring. So we had put in our position, our uh, policies and procedures. We were monitoring all clients and staff. So we're doing temperature checks every single, um, every single day and every single shift. And we were keeping track of all of that. And we were really conscious that we wanted to try and be as preventative as possible in this particular um, instance because of the fact that we do have people in out-of-home care. And I was really concerned about if we did have a positive staff member, what the ramifications would be for our for our organisation. So we were monitoring and we were really, really clear, like following the government guidelines, if you are unwell, to please stay home, get tested and stay home. And it was Sunday afternoon that we did get a call from one of our staff saying, and we knew that he'd had a test on the Friday. He was unwell. He'd worked on the Thursday. He was unwell on the Friday. He did the right thing. He didn't come to work and he got a test. And we got alerted to the fact that it was positive on the Sunday. So as all good things happen, it's either a Friday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I happened to be on call at the time. So we have a 24-hour 24-7 after our service and I was the one on call that weekend and the first thing we had to do was really just I guess take a bit of a deep breath it was kind of new it was the start of the first it was start of the of stage the second wave um, so it was that time I think it was around it was July so it was really just at the very beginning things were still pretty new and I was I must admit I was expecting to hear from the public health unit or someone quite quickly uh, to you know, give us some instructions or some advice in what to do. But having said that, we knew as per our policies and procedures and what was out there in the literature that we really need to go back 24 or 48 hours to the last point of symptoms. And so we did that and we started looking back and saying, okay, well, um, it's a residential house. And so we've had probably about 12. So it worked out that we had 12 staff that had been working with that particular staff member during what would be considered his infectious period. And so we really just sort of started that in the sense we've contacted all of the staff and asked that they not come into work. In hindsight, what we could have done differently is that we did ask everyone to go and get a test. And in hindsight, that's probably something that we didn't need to necessarily do at the time. But you know, it was sort of one of those things, neither here nor there at, at the end of the day. So staff went off and got tested. I was really pleasantly surprised. Our staff are predominantly casual. I was concerned that they might come back to us and raise concerns about having to go into isolation or quarantine for those um, 14 days while they awaited their tests. There were really no concerns expressed by the team. They were really amazing and supportive and adhered to the rules and regulations we kept in touch with all 14 or all 12 of the staff as closely and as um, as we could, um, whether it be daily or, you know, second daily contact, just to check in and make sure they're okay. Our staff member who did test positive, as it turned out, we had a second staff member that came back positive as a part of the contact trace, and it turned out they were actually brothers. So wow. I, I hypothesised that maybe they, that maybe they actually... Um, you know, got the infection or, or the um, outside of the organisation. And then as a part of the contact trace, one of our clients came back as positive. Wow. Yeah. So I think it was when the client came back positive that that was what really did um, sort of really send us into the, the important phase of our kind of our management of the situation. Because one thing, having staff that are, are well and they're at home, 
they're isolating. They're not potentially infectious to the rest of your, the rest of your, well, to your clients or to your other staff. But once we had the client that had come back positive and he was a young person, so he has a disability, but he's a young person. So he's only 16. And he was also sharing the house with another young person. So an 11 year old with a disability. So how did you go about what type of uh, precautions that you take in continuing to care for that client? We So the first thing that we did on that particular evening or that particular afternoon, it was on a Wednesday afternoon, I was actually on a conference call with uh, disability service providers that provide day services. And I'd actually asked them at that time if anybody had a positive case, whether it be a client or a staff member, and they're all like, no, I haven't. So I thought I was hoping that I, you'd be able to share your learnings with me, but um, no. And so I actually asked, because these children are under child protection and DHS, but they also had a linkage with NDIS. I actually provide, I, I pulled together all of their key stakeholders into, you know, into a Zoom meeting. I was really, really pleased with how responsive DHS, NDIS and child protection were. So they all came together really, really quickly, which was fantastic. The other lesson that I learned as a part of that process was no one was really an expert in what to do at that given time. And all the all the plans that we could have had in place, everything was you can't you can't plan for all these very really small nuances. And for this particular situation, we had two young people, neither of them won well. One had tested positive, one hadn't tested positive. The Home was a very small home and we were quite concerned about isolating one of the clients there for 14 days in his room and the impact that that would have on his mental health but also on his behaviours so he can have pretty significant behaviours of concern. And so we're really quite worried about that and thinking how best do you manage the infection control component but also their health and well-being of staff but also the client at the same time. Fortunately, we had another property that had just become vacant and it was a much larger property and it had been purposely built for people with disability, but also purpose built for to be split into two houses if you needed it to. So we had one section of the property that had its own fully equipped bathroom, uh, kitchen, et cetera, et cetera. And then another part of the house that we could do pretty much the same with. It didn't have its own kitchen, but you could really pretty much cut the two off. So with the permission of DHS, we actually moved the two clients. So we everybody got into PPE and we got into the car and we drove the clients to the house where they resided for 11 days um, together. Well, together and not really together. They were able to pretty much isolate themselves from each other they were able to get outside at least um, into, into the backyard, et cetera. And so that was how we managed the clients. The trickiest bit was really how did we get the staff who are not nurses, they're not doctors, they're not trained in using PPE. It's not part of their norm to be wearing PPE every day and they weren't so familiar with infection control practices. So, and I had asked a couple of weeks earlier who would be prepared to work with a COVID positive client and not one person got back to me. So I was a little bit concerned about what that might look like. And I talked to the house supervisor who'd been with these clients for a long time. And I just sort of jokingly even said, how do you feel about going and living with these, these two clients for, for 14 days? And he said he would. And wow. so 
three of our staff uh, plus um, the house supervisor. So we had four staff agreed to go and live at that property in their full PPE and doing shifts because they were direct contacts anyway, they would have been isolating at home. Ideally, that's not how you would do it going forward. Um, yeah. Whilst it was a something that was approved at the time and it, it served its purpose and it was wonderful that our staff were prepared to do that, that's not something that I would do again in the future. Okay. Um, I think the learnings from that were that staff need to have a break regardless of how well their behaviours are or how well they are doing and the fact you can isolate yourself in a very big property, it is important for staff to be able to go home and to be able to have that break. We also learned through that procedure or through that process that if we did follow our infection control precautions and we did do our PPM, we put it on and off and we did it well um, and we were really clear around those guidelines, we could safely go home after shift and, um, and come back to work the next day because we've actually done that subsequent to this particular outbreak. We've looked after four clients that have been either positive for COVID or have been direct contacts of COVID where we've set up a property to have um, be essentially a COVID house is what it's been called by DHS and staff have been able to care for those clients using infection control precautions and being able to go home to their families and we've seen no zero transmission which has been a really really good outcome that's fantastic well i really hope uh as you in the instance as well when you were looking for information from other providers i hope if there is ever another outbreak which fingers crossed that never happens um another provider is able to look back on this and this insight and be able to learn how to take their next steps as well so Thank you very much for joining me today, Cindy. That was fantastic. And um, I hope you have a great day. Awesome. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Search NDS Safer and Stronger on YouTube for more experiences from disability providers as well as other useful resources. Or you can visit the Coronavirus Hub Victorian Response section at nds.org.au. The Safer and Stronger project focuses on supporting disability services in response to COVID-19.